Hi, Idaho and true crime addicts alike. My name is Andy with an I. And I'm Nick. And this is the Idaho Crime Squad Pod. Idaho Crime Squad pod where we cover crime and creepy things that happen here in our beloved potato state. Nick, how are we doing today? Doing good. Do you want to tell everyone how we met? How we met? Yeah. Well, how do we know each other? Well, we are siblings. (laughs) We share parents. Nick's my brother. That helps. So um, how did we meet? Uh, We met the day you were born, I believe. Mm, From the womb to the tomb. That's right. If you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm having my brother Nick on. Nick's always been into true crime. Um, He's definitely the person I call when there's any update in some sort of case that we're both following. We're pretty close. We're the closest in age. There's five five siblings, and we're the two youngest. So. We're the two. We are four and five of five children. Wow. Our poor mother. So first and foremost, I want to start by saying that this this is a really sad story. I just want to offer my condolences to Angie's family. I want to thank them for putting together AngieDodge.com with so much information and resources. Um, our listeners should definitely go check that out. And I want to personally thank Carol Dodge. She's a badass. I'm about to tell you all about her. We'll get more into her in a bit, but seriously, Carol, if you ever listen to this podcast, you're an incredible person. And I can only hope that my mom loves me and Nick as much as you love Angie. I just had chills researching this case. It truly is very admirable how resilient Carol is. So we're going today to Idaho Falls. Idaho Falls. <laughs> the great Idaho Falls. Um, now, most people listening probably know a little bit about Idaho Falls, but we do have some out-of-state listeners, and I wanted to like put together a little fact sheet about Idaho Falls, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. So, Idaho Falls is in the dirty southeast of the state, okay? So, if you leave Boise, which most people would know where that is. It's a straight shot on I-84. Pretty much. You kind of head like east- And then you hop on to 15 near Pocatello, and it shoots you kind of upwards to Idaho Falls. Now, Idaho Falls is in Bonneville County, which is pretty close to the Wyoming border, and even closer to Rexburg, which is where BYU-Idaho is located. Did you go there? I did, for one year. (laughs) Did you like it? I made the drive a lot of times. Did you like it? Not really. Okay. Um, Let me say this about eastern Idaho. It's very cold there in the winter. It's windy. It's always windy. Um, It's beautiful. This is Idaho Falls is not too far from Yellowstone. I think it's yeah maybe an hour and a half from, right from Yellowstone. So it's a pretty area. Um, but yeah, it's cold. Um, long winters over there. Yeah. Always windy. That's that's how I remember. Very it. Idaho. Yeah, lots of potatoes. This is okay. But it's flat, right? It is up until well, you, you can get see to like the Wyoming. mountains. Oh, but yeah, okay. yeah, it's totally flat um, until you get to the mountains. But you can see them. Like you might not be able to see the Tetons from Idaho Falls, but. You're not too far from seeing the Tetons. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. I, I guess I haven't spent a lot of time in, I, I don't even know if I've ever been to Idaho Falls. Yeah. It's a decent, it's a decent sized city. My roommate um, Eddie is from As far as, as Idaho there. goes. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I guess for, for pop culture reasons, that guy longboarding to the gas station with the cranberry juice. Shut up right now. That was Idaho Falls. 
what was his name? Something Dog remember. 420. Yeah. Ah, fuck. My husband would kill me right now if he knew <laughs> I that I didn't remember his um, name. Ah. But, uh, That's yeah. going to kill me. That's Idaho I'm going to get roasted on Twitter for this. From my understanding, the Snake River runs through mm-hmm. Idaho Falls, which I did I not know I that's that. where the name comes from. There's the waterfall. Oh. Like right in... It's right... I mean, yeah. that would track. I didn't know there was an actual waterfall. There is. Waterfall yeah. There. I okay. think it's very close to the to the uh, LDS temple in Idaho Falls, too. Like, Dogface. Dogface 420. Dogface. That's okay. his name. <laughs> God dang. Okay. It attracts tourists and fishermen i guess mm-hmm. with the snake river going through there outdoorsmen and like you sure. said um it's very close to yellowstone and jackson hole mm-hmm. and the grand T- and grand teton so it gets quite a bit of like traffic and travelers who are going through there um in 2020 the population was just under 65,000 people but this is considered one of the largest cities in idaho yeah um cities would be anything over 10,000 people so the median home price in Idaho Falls is $385,000, which is actually way less than the state's average. Do you know the Idaho state average home price? I'm going to guess $500,000. No, four twenty seven. Okay. Good guess. But like, that's so fucking high. I knew it was high. Yeah. I might, I might've been a little ridiculous. Like, are you kidding me? Um, that's mostly, um, I think Boise and then North Idaho. Has sure. Very Coeur d'Alene. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that probably weighs heavily on, on that. Yeah. Totally. Um, but that's complete ass. I'm sorry, but that is complete ass. That's a lot of money to live in Idaho. Yeah. Unemployment rate in Idaho Falls, 2.2%, which is low. really low. Very low. Really low. National average is 3.5%. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are working yeah. in this town. Um, but their poverty rate is 16.42%. Okay. And the national average is 11%. Yeah. So that's pretty high. They're working, but they're not getting paid super well. Or just not even looking for work. Then they get left out of that statistic, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, Median household income, $75,356 a year, which is actually $5,000 above the national average. Average age in this town, 33.4 years old. So. Do you have the national average for age? I actually don't. Um, I think it's just a little higher than that. Is it? Yeah. I I would think that this means that this this is a sign of a growing city because growing there's city. young people there. And um, demographically too, pretty religious. Really? Yeah, lots of Latter Day Saint families. So oh, lots of kids. oh yeah, it's that, Eastern that Idaho. That skews that skews the age. In, sure. In towns oh, this size. okay, gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Because like they have like eight kids. Right. Okay, under ten. Yeah, get it. Um, they have two high uh, high schools here: Skyline and Idaho Falls High School. Crime rate. So the violent crime rate here is actually just above the national average. If you are a resident of Idaho Falls, your chances of being a victim of violent crime are 1 in 288. Idaho as a whole is 1 in 401. Wow. Yeah. So you're most likely to be victim of assault, but rape in Idaho Falls is also a pretty big contributor to the violent crime rate. Property crime, so burglary, theft, etc., 1 in 67 in Idaho Falls and the state average is one in 96. I think though, because there's like such small towns everywhere in Idaho, all the cities are going to suffer from higher crime rate. Totally. But Idaho Falls has a higher violent crime rate than Boise does, which is interesting. Um, so the crime rate per square mile, Idaho Falls 54, 54 per square mile. Is that per year, per month? Do you know? I think these are all from 2020. Okay. Yep. The rest of Idaho is at 19. 
But regardless of all this, Idaho Falls is still considered a decently safe place to live, just like all of Idaho. Um, according to Alarms.org, it's ranked number five for safe to, safest cities in Idaho. But cities are only places that w- with more than 10,000 people. Yeah, and so, Idaho doesn't have a lot of population centers. Right, so I wouldn't even know what they're comparing that to. I guess like Coeur d'Alene, Boise, Lewiston, Nampa, Meridian, maybe. yeah, Lewiston. So now that we know all that about Idaho Falls, we are going to get into what we're talking about today. This is the story of Angie Ray Dodge. So Angie was born on December 21st, 1977 in Vancouver, Washington to Jack and Carol Dodge. She had blonde hair, blue-green eyes, and the cutest face. I'm going to actually pull up a picture for you real quick. Oh, yeah. She is just cute as a button. She was the baby of the family. Like you. Like me. Uh, The youngest of four. She had three older siblings, and yeah, they were boys, which kind of speaks for itself. I can relate to that. I'm the youngest of a family, and I have three older brothers, and it is definitely a sink or swim kind of scenario. Growing up, her parents were very involved, and she was a total daddy's girl, Angie showed early on that she was actually super intelligent, uh, very smart kid, and kept that sharp mind all the way up until her passing. She actually attended kindergarten in San Diego, and then at some point relocated to Idaho Falls with her family during grade school. She would go on to attend and graduate from Idaho Falls High School. She was a very kind person and was described as, quote, an abundance of joy. Angie loved the holiday season, mainly because her birthday was like four days before Christmas, so she loved getting all the family (laughs) together and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So after Angie graduated high school, she floated the idea to her mom of moving out into her own apartment. Angie worked two jobs at the time. She felt like she wanted her life to take off and she wanted to have a little bit more independence. Her mom was extremely hesitant, but ultimately she did come around and allowed Angie to rent her own apartment nearby. So just to be clear, she stayed in Idaho Falls. Correct. She moved out. Yes. She's got an apartment close to her parents. Literally like not even a mile away. Okay. But just to live on her own. Correct. Gotcha. Yes. And this was after graduation. So I'm assuming this is either like really early in June or like very late May. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. On the evening of June 12th, 1996, Angie had stopped by the family home and spent some time with Carol, her mother. Angie talked about how much she loved her new apartment, how excited she was for this chapter of her life, and also told her mom that she was starting to realize that adulting kind of fucking sucks and takes a lot of work. Carol recalls pulling Angie in for a hug and having a sweet moment with her where she was able to tell her she will that Angie will always be her baby and how much she loves her. They said their goodbyes, blew each other kisses, and said, I love you, like they always did. But Carol did not know that this, unfortunately, would be the last time that she saw Angie alive. Fairly Reliable Bob's Used Cars in Boise, Idaho has been right on the corner and right on the deal since 1975. For those of you not wanting to do the math, that is 48 years. Okay, here's the thing. At most dealerships, the salesperson is paid a percentage of the profit on the car that they sell. This motivates them to get the customers to pay more. That's not what they do at Fairly Reliable Bob's. Their salespeople actually make the same commission, no matter what price the customer pays. So the salesperson is truly working with and for the customer to find the right car at the right deal. At Fairly Reliable Bob's, 80% of their business is either repeat customers or people who have been referred by their customers. You have to treat people right to earn that kind of loyalty. And after 48 years in business, chances are you have a friend or family member who has purchased a car from Fairleys. So don't just take my word for it, guys. Ask around. You will find that Fairly Reliable Bobs is the place to get your next car, truck, or SUV. Fairly Reliable Bobs used cars downtown Boise at 23rd and Main since 1975. 
on June 13th, 1996, the next day. Angie never showed up for work. Two of her coworkers would go together to her apartment. Um, when they got there, they thought it was strange that Angie's car was parked in the parking lot. And they completely freaked out when her front door was wide open. Now, this is just going to be a trigger warning for what happened to Angie. It's, yeah, take a couple of seconds. If you don't want to hear this, skip forward like 30 seconds. All right. Um, so they found Angie lying in her bedroom. She was just covered in blood. Um, Angie had been raped and stabbed to death. Her sweatpants were down around her, her legs, like to her ankles. And she did have some semen on her thigh. Her throat was cut so deeply that she was almost decapitated. So DNA was obviously recovered from the scene, um, but they couldn't find any fingerprints, not even Angie's. That's very odd. Is I know. Isn't that weird? That is very strange. My first instinct is like, those cops are idiots. So strange they didn't find fingerprints could be indication of poor police work. It could be indication of um, somebody spent time to wipe down hard surfaces before they got out of there. Okay, that's um, fair. Or it could just be a massive coincidence, I suppose. Uh, maybe the attacker wore gloves and she, but for they, some reason, left no fingerprints. I don't know. Yeah, that doesn't really make sense I'm like, to but me. why didn't they find Ant? I don't know. It's weird. To me, it just sounds like they didn't collect them. Yeah, very, very strange. Yeah. Anyways, the semen, it wasn't a match in CODIS. And CODIS was relatively new. Right. Um, so, you know. 96, it, you said? 96, and I think CODIS dropped in like 92. Yeah. Yeah. So, DNA is fairly new at this point. Yeah, totally. So there were no signs of forced entry. However, there were signs of an apparent short struggle, according to investigators. Um, police did recover a wallet from the scene of a man, which was obviously a promising lead. And they also found messages on her answering machine, as well as names written in her journal. Now, Angie's mother found out in one of the worst ways possible. So Carol had called the salon where Angie worked. And when she asked for her daughter, the phone was passed around several times until someone finally had the nerve to tell her. Oh, no. um, that she needed to go to the police station because Angie had been found dead. So she had to find out about this tragedy from her daughter's coworkers. Correct. They did not notify next of kin before the coworkers knew. Wow. And you got to remember, like back then, they didn't have cell phones. So that means that whoever found her had time to go all the way back to work and spread the word before they notified. Angie's. Right. Yeah, that's what's surprising to me. I think. What an awful. I mean, probably. Probably one of the worst things imaginable a person can go through. Yeah. But then to actually, like, hear the news in that way. Yeah. Um, pretty devastating. I know. Now, just to get this out there, detectives were definitely following up on that wallet. That was until August 8th, 1996, two months after the murder, when DNA finally came back that did not match anyone that they had their eye on, including the owner of the wallet. At this point, police had interviewed over 200 people and had two experts compose criminal profiles to hopefully match with a suspect, but they were essentially stumped. Carol was driving down to the station every single day to make sure that there were no advancements in the case. And every single time they told her the same thing, that they had nothing. Months would go by. And according to a December 1996 article by the Times News, Angie's family and friends were confused and saddened, but also like getting really fucking angry that no arrest had been made yet. By December, Carol had distributed over 2,500 flyers around town offering a $5,000 reward for any information. Only 40 tips would be received in this time, and none led to an arrest. Um, maybe you're going to get to this, but I actually, I I'm going to ask anyway. Do we know whose wallet that was? Are we going to talk more about the wallet? We actually aren't. That okay. is that is the extent of the information I have. So they just said a man's wallet. They never said who. Never meant, nope. ultimately ruled him out. Ruled him out. Correct. So maybe a friend, 
maybe uh, an acquaintance I whose would wallet was left there. So we are going... Angie had a very large group of friends. Okay. And we're going to get there. Okay. And, like, a lot of it is just kind of because, like, it's Idaho Falls and everyone just kind of runs with everybody, I would think. At least back in the 90s. Um, but we never touch again on the wallet. But you are going to realize how ridiculous this like the way that these police think is yeah the the case and the investigation right um because th- yeah nothing they really do in this makes sense i mean i kind of understand a, a few of the reasons why they thought what they thought but yeah i don't know we'll get to it yeah and to be clear i guess idaho falls despite the population that andy talked about earlier um feels like a small town Right. Um, and I would imagine in the 90s, probably even more so back then, either felt like or really was a small town. Like yeah. these police are probably like, this kind of stuff only happens over in Boise. I can't right. believe this happened here in Idaho Falls, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's common. Like if you follow small town murder cases, the police in these towns are not trained. They're not equipped. They're they not qualified. They're not prepared for yeah. this kind of thing to right. happen right. in their communities. Um, so their resources are limited. Yeah, and it's disappointing um, when we see these small-town police forces kind of fumble on these cases. But it's also somewhat understandable because a lot of them have never seen anything like this. They've never they've never had to investigate a case like this. Um, yeah, it's just a, unfortunate all around, I think. Carol would later say in interviews that police at this time had little contact with her and even refused to work with the private detective that she had hired. I just want to say really quick, like, if we've learned anything from the Moscow case, it's that cops, like, they don't always tell us everything, right? Like, I'll be the first to admit that I thought that the Moscow police, like, had totally fumbled that case. And when they made an arrest, I was very pleasantly surprised, you know? But hang tight. Because the Idaho Falls Police Department, like, really, they really fucked up. They really made an ass of themselves at the expense of not only Angie's family and friends, but also, like, the safety of Idaho residents, Right. I mean, if you you live in one of these towns and something like this happens, and the police cannot provide any detail they can't find the person like how do you feel safe yeah there's only what like at this time 40 50 thousand people in this town right i would think at the most and one of them's a murderer yeah and they're out there mm-hmm. you know that's got to be terrifying yeah i well, mean it's just like how we felt you know yeah so moscow if you're not in idaho moscow idaho if you're listening to this you've heard of this case so moscow idaho is like what five hours from boise five and a half six, drive maybe, yeah. six i was i was still feeling nervous unsettled sure and there's a million people in this valley almost mm-hmm. you know between boise moscow everywhere in between the chances of me becoming a victim of this guy was practically zero but not knowing who it was even six hours away i was i was scared yeah i was locked i double checking my doors were for locked sure. at night bought a new gun yeah you know the gun came out of the safe and went yeah. into the nightstand for a few weeks for sure. like it, it it's off-putting and i can't imagine i didn't i wasn't living in moscow i'd imagine it would have been a hundred times worse but probably a similar feeling for the people in Idaho Falls. At this absolutely. Time. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, I'm about to rock your fucking world. <laughs> okay. You have All right. not, you really don't know this case. I don't. All right. Don't. Well, Carol started diving into her own investigation a little bit. She was driving around Idaho Falls every single night, sometime until like 4 a.m. 4 she would pull over and ask every teenager, teenager she saw if they had any information. She would even go into like known drug houses and beg people to tell her anything that might lead to her killer. Wow. These sick fucks in these drug houses were sending her on wild goose chases to random parts of town that led to nothing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. To I, do that to a grieving mother. I cannot. If any of you guys are those people, fuck you. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's... We are Team Carol awful. on this podcast. 100%. So then, 
In February of 1997, eight months after Angie's murder, police made an arrest. Okay. They had received a tip that a young man was bragging at a party that he was there in the apartment the night that Angie was murdered. I want to add that we don't know if this is actually true. Tapp's lawyer says that this statement was coerced out of a teenage girl who was on the hook for drug charges. Mm. So we don't know how true that statement is. So 20-year-old Christopher Conley Tapp had actually been questioned by police six months prior. He stated that he had never been to Angie's apartment. They collected a blood sample from him and he was let go. But on the morning of February 3rd, a warrant for his arrest was issued and he was charged with first-degree murder and rape. Police say that Tapp was amongst a group of people who were with Angie the night before the crime. That's what they released to the public. So presumably they have a DNA match? We'll get there. (laughs) I I think I know the answer to that question. (laughs) We'll get Um, there. But okay, continue. Okay. So Christopher Tapp lived in Idaho Falls the majority of his life. He attended Skyline High School for a short time, but he actually dropped out his freshman year. His mother said he was very happy and playful as a kid, but he unfortunately started abusing drugs and alcohol in middle school, and he never really was able to find his balance in life after that. He did spend almost a month at the Walker Center Rehab Facility in Gooding, just before Angie's murder, okay? And unfortunately, he had relapsed after his release. Chris did know Angie. Um, Like, they kind of ran with the same group of teens and 20-year-olds, and they hung out, like, a lot along, like, the Snake River near John's Hole Bridge and the boat dock. Mm-hmm. Our Idaho Falls listener probably, listeners probably know where that is. But they were never really close friends. Um, they were just kind of, like, acquaintances. Like, they ran with the same larger circle. Right. So after the arrest, right, detectives were saying that they believed there was someone else involved in the murder. Can you guess why? The DNA didn't match. The DNA didn't fucking match Christopher yeah, Tapp. Okay. But the issue was they had a taped confession from him. And we'll get back to that in a second. Well, the police had a taped confession from Brendan Dassey, so. I feel like me and you are so on the same wavelength (laughs) today. It's like you read this before I'm even talking about it. Okay, because I'm about to blow your fucking mind. Yeah, let's hear it. You're going to love this shit. Now stay with me here because we got some new characters. Let's go. So when presenting evidence, although, again, they had nothing physical linking him to the crime, the prosecution showed a tape in which Tapp admits that Angie had let him, Christopher, okay, Mm -hmm. a man named Mike... And a man named Benjamin Hobbs into her apartment. Tap went on to say that Mike and Hobbs raped her and that Hobbs would be the one to commit the murder. However, Tap did say that he himself had sliced Andy's, Angie's chest with a knife. And so. This confession was coerced. Okay. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. Um, so, according to police and the prosecution, because Tap was present for the crime, he was going to be charged just the same. Right. Even though, again, there was no DNA evidence linking him to tap to the crime, and they didn't even know who Mike was. They yeah, didn't know who he could be or anything. Mm-hmm. Now, Benjamin Hobbs. He's a real person. Okay. We're going to talk about him, but spoiler alert, the DNA did not match him either. So the police were essentially saying the DNA must have belonged to this mystery man, Mike. Tap would go on to retract his confession, stating that he was forced to give it, and he maintained his innocence forever. Benjamin Hobbs. He got arrested back in 1995 prior to the murder for, like, some felony check fraud um, for, like, $3,000. Like, girl, you're going to get caught. Why do people do that? Yeah, like, petty white-collar stuff. Yeah, like, what? He also had recently been divorced, which Christopher Tapp stated in his confession that Hobbs had been blaming Angie for the divorce. I don't have any more information on that. I don't know if Angie and him, like, if he was implying that him and Angie, like, had a sexual relationship at some Mm -hmm. point and it ruined his marriage. 
I don't think that there's any truth behind this, but it, it, it did get brought up in the confession. So at the time of Chris Tapp's confession, Hobbs was serving time for sexual assault and battery in Nevada. Now, this is a trigger warning. Um, go ahead and skip forward like eight seconds. Give you a sec here. Benjamin Hobbs raped a woman with a knife. With a knife? So, yeah. He's a real piece of shit. Yeah. Um, side that might note, be an understatement. Benjamin Hobbs is a registered sex offender in Ely, Nevada, but I actually have reason to believe that he lives in Idaho right now. Really? Yes. So according to a 2001 article, he was not supposed to be eligible for parole until 2024, but a source actually told our team via TikTok that he is currently living near Jefferson, Jefferson County, Idaho. And based off my research, he's not currently incarcerated in Nevada. Really? Yeah. So do with that information what you will. But his name is Benjamin Hobbs. Benjamin Hobbs. He also escaped from jail in Nevada in 1999. He was apprehended. This guy is such a fucking loser. You know, I... So I listen to a lot of true crime stuff. Sure. I am astonished at the number of people who managed to escape from jail and prison. I know. Isn't it crazy? Like, you don't hear about prison breaks that often but based on my experience with true crime it seems to happen like like once in a while at least right and uh it's shocking to me you know you've how got the, do they do it you've got the extreme outliers like ted bundy sure and we know how he did it yeah but that's different um and then i've seen shawshank redemption yeah but how someone like ben hobbs escaped prison like who is this dude and how did he do it unbelievable you know? it's crazy oh you jail you said not prison um jail still I, it's 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 astonishing I know. to me that people are able to There's no out. way this guy's IQ is over 100. Yeah, and he is able think. to escape from jail? Yeah, it's... it's... Where is my money going yeah. for my taxes? You got one job at the jail. <laughs> to watch him and make sure make they, sure don't, they don't get out. <laughs> yeah. Benjamin Hobbs is serving time in Nevada and the trial... Presumably. Oh, you mean back in our time? Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Continue. So let me just paint a picture for you real quick. What Benjamin Hobbs did to that girl, I'm not going to say it again, um, he was in jail for, and that happened after. After the murder. Yes. Okay. I'm putting myself in the police's shoes. Okay. Here's a man who we know has patterns of violence in his behavior. Correct. He's capable of something like this crime. Correct. We know he's in jail sitting tight, and we potentially have access to him to interview, um, DNA test, things like that. Am right. I on the right track here? You are completely on the right okay. track here. It looked like an open and shut case to them, which I like, that's why I said, like, I can understand why they did what, like, why they thought what they thought. I mean, if I'm an investigator, this guy's my number one right now. Uh, absolutely. Sure. We absolutely. know he was in the area at the time. We know he's capable of this. Sure. And we've got him. I yeah. mean, we, to me, yeah, it starts to look like a slam dunk. Well, and then I can also understand what, how, like, the police like almost start looking into a scope of like, okay, now how can we get this guy? And that happens a lot. Yes. You see this a lot where police find a good lead like this and they pursue it, which is good, but they sometimes get tunnel vision, which is right. bad. Yes. Because Correct. you can fixate on someone and you can really throw a case away by fixating too hard on one guy if it, that's not your guy. This podcast is sponsored by Fairly Reliable Bobs. Fairly Reliable Bobs used cars in Boise, Idaho has been right on the corner and right on the deal since 1975. 
Fairleys is a small locally owned family business, so when you buy a car at Fairleys, you're supporting hardworking Idaho families. The money you spend stays right here in Idaho, not going out of state to some big corporation. You are supporting our community because Fairly Reliable Bobs supports our community. Causes like Optimus Football, the Boy Scouts, the Rescue Mission, Camp Odaya, and that's just to name a few. Fairly Reliable Bobs has a huge selection of cars, trucks, vans, SUVs, and of course, Corvettes. But did you know that Fairleys sells more electric and hybrid vehicles than anyone else in the area? Their staff is knowledgeable on all types of vehicles and can help you choose the right vehicle for your needs. Fairly Reliable Bob's used cars. Downtown Boise at 23rd and Main since 1975. So back to the main story. Benjamin Hobbs is serving time in Nevada. And the trial went forward on Christopher Tapp. And on May 12th of 1998, after 12 hours of deliberation by the jury, Tapp would be found guilty of first-degree murder and rape. They convicted him. They convicted him. On just just a confession. Yes. No physical evidence. Correct. No nothing. Just yes. a coerced confession. And see, nowadays we look at something like this and it seems insane to convict someone just on a confession because we know... We know that confessions can't always be trusted. We know they can be coerced. We know that people confess to crimes they didn't commit all the time. Right. And it sounds crazy to a lot of us, but it happens. Um, back in the 90s, though, someone confesses to a crime. Like, they, they didn't did usually it. stop to think, well, is it possible he admitted to this for some other reason? Or did we push him too hard? Or did we, you know, were we leading him? They don't, those thoughts don't happen. It's right. just, he confessed. Why would you confess to a murder you didn't, didn't commit? didn't do, Yeah. But it's unfortunate. Um, I think making a murderer really sparked the public belief that confessions are coerced. Yeah, it opened a lot of people's eyes. Like, Mm -hmm. I think we were familiar with that concept. But, um, and anyone else who was really into true crime knew about cases of that happening. But yeah, making a murderer was really important um, in, I guess. Oh, it was like monumental. Yeah, and showing people like, this happens. And especially in small towns with police forces, like I said earlier, that don't have the resources and the training and everything, um, it happens. Like, there's innocent people sitting in prison who, you know, like Brendan Dassey, low IQ. Yeah. They just want to go home and watch WrestleMania. And so they just admit to something that they never did. Yeah, and we're going to kind of get into exactly what happened here. Um, and it's it's pretty upsetting. Um, just how they got this confession from him. But we'll go into that here in a little bit. So the judge, Ted V. Wood, would go on to sentence him to at least 30 years for the murder and another 10 for the rape. He was just narrowly escaping the death penalty, which the prosecution was going for. Yeah, Idaho will kill you. So, yeah, this um, was a death penalty Idaho, case. And even in his confession, he states, like, I wasn't the one who did it, but I was there. And they were still trying to kill him for it. Yeah, it's like that. It's like that, uh, you know, those situations where... You and your buddies go to rob a gas station and you're just planning on taking the money and leaving. But then your buddy pulls out a gun and, and caps the, the clerk. And yeah. now you're on for murder, too. Well, and I think it doesn't that, matter that you didn't pull the trigger like you are on. I think that the prosecution was trying to come in big and scary and like be like, we're doing the death penalty so that he would plea. But he's like, I didn't do this. So I'm right. not going to plead as something I didn't fucking do. Yeah. Right. And he retracted his statement. He right? did. And, yeah. And, and said that the that it was coerced. Yep. Yep. He stated during sentencing, quote, I am not the monstrous animal everyone thinks I am. Tap would be held in a prison in Boise. I, I can assume it was probably the Idaho Correctional Facility up at the end of, like, Pleasant Valley Road. Yeah, south of town. Yeah, but some sources also say it was a prison in CUNA, but then isn't that, uh, that one's, in that's CUNA? That's the CUNA prison. Okay, yeah. okay, all right, gotcha. They consider that, I think, to be, it's unincorporated Ada County, but I think it 
like rolls into the Cuna. That's what I thought. Yeah, stuff, kind right? of Cuna kind of wraps around back there. Regardless, Cuna is a small town, kind of southish of Boise, southwest of Boise, and uh, the prison's out that way. It's pretty far from like really anything except where our grandparents used to live. Dude, we could see the prison from <laughs> Grandma and Grandpa's house. Yeah, yeah. And I always told them I was like. Grandpa would be like, yeah, you can go pick up the car. The keys are on the floor of the car. I'm like, Grandpa, you live by the prison. You can't leave your <laughs> keys on the floor of the car. <laughs> yeah. He was not going to be eligible for parole until 2027. So he would still be in. Correct. During the aftermath of this, the police department would say that they were actively spending thousands of hours attempting to locate Mike and also building a case against Benjamin Hobbs, which would all prove to be completely pointless. Carol and the rest of Angie's family also insisted the police department allow other agencies to look into the case. Okay, so let me pause you just for a second, if that's okay. Do we know what Carol thought at this time of this guy that gets convicted for her daughter's murder? Did she believe that he was guilty? Yes. Okay, so she thought he told the truth and then got cold feet. Yeah, because how could someone confess to a crime they didn't do? Right, and honestly, to the average person, like, it seems obvious. Yeah. Right? And, um, so I don't, I don't blame her for that. Me neither. And at like, all. And we'll kind of talk about like why she starts to come around. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she, there was a rumor and this is not confirmed information, mm-hmm. but I did read in a couple of sources that she used to go to the prison and beg him for answers. And yeah. he told her, I can't tell you anything. I didn't do this. Right. It's tough. Cause like the story does make sense. It kind of fits like what we you know, what you described with the crime scene and everything. Um, but, you know, ultimately, if he didn't do it, he didn't do it. Yeah, I know. Carol and the rest of Angie's family, they were insisting that the police department allow other agencies to look into the case. But the Idaho Falls police chief at the time, J. Kent Livesey, was adamant that the case remains within his department. Okay, now, take a moment to breathe. I know I just threw, like, a whole lot of information at everybody, but we're going to shake things the fuck up right now. Everything's about to just get insane. Yeah, I want to hear about it. So our girl, Carol Dodge, always, something wasn't sitting right with her. Well, because if you're her, even if you believe that this guy told the truth in his confession, the trigger man, for lack of a better word, the guy that actually killed her daughter, he's out there. Yeah. 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 So like, yeah, we got one guy, but let's get the rest. And why can't we figure out who Mike is? Yeah. This guy doesn't know the name of, the last name of his friend who was with him there? That seems crazy. So weird. In the years after this, the Innocence Project started getting involved and pushing for more DNA testing to be done. Shout out to the Innocence Project. Love them. Heart. We stand the Innocence Project. Absolutely. It turns out that a lot of DNA at the scene was never tested, including a pubic hair. Never tested. Really? Never tested. Yep. So they have one DNA profile. Correct. Because according to... Our story, there were three dudes there, all of whom participated in bad activities and would have feasibly, realistically all left behind some amount of DNA. Or fingerprints or something. Something. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, pubic hair was not tested and other fluids, sweat, saliva, um, that was all at the scene and that was never tested. Blood, probably. Probably. In 2008, okay, Carol started running to every news source pressuring the police department to run more DNA testing on the evidence. 12 years. 12 years later. Yep. By no means at this point was she looking for an exoneration for Christopher Tapp. She still very much felt he was involved. But the prosecution's entire case, like we said, was built around a confession in which Tapp stated that there were more assailants. And after 12 years with no answers, Carol was going from antsy to angry. Yeah. And nothing gets to the bond with things like an angry mama. Absolutely. I mean, look at what she's already doing. She's yeah. going into, what, drug houses? 
I mean, she's doing more than the police were doing. Seriously. Were they walking into crack houses to get tips? Probably not, you know? Yeah. I just... I, it, it's, it's a testament to her commitment and her love for her daughter, um, but it's also sad to see, and this is common, to see families doing more than the police. Absolutely. To help solve a crime. So in 2013, Carol got an idea. She requested everything she possibly could. The police records, the coroner's reports, interview notes, and the interrogation videos with Chris Tapp. She watched and studied hours and hours of these videos and started to come to the conclusion that Tapp had nothing to do with this. Are those videos public record? They are not. Okay. I cannot get my hands on them. Um, I You could probably submit like a I could FLI. do a FOIA. Yeah. yeah, I could do a FOIA. Um, I wasn't able to get to the bottom of it. I did call mm-hmm. and they basically told me you have to submit a FOIA and even then you might not get them. Yeah. Um, but there's been some documentaries about this and they have access to them and I think that Carol released them yeah. to them. Well, so, if you ever get them, we can do a follow-up. Yeah, that'd an be... An analysis of those videos. That'd, uh, be, that'd be so cool. Yeah, we should do I, that. I think I would punch my TV though. I think I would get so angry. We could do it. We could do it live so you could like, keep it. like we'll record <laughs> as we watch it and like, yeah. like give a live reaction to what we think of it. Um, well, just so you know, there's like, it's like 18 hours long. Okay. Probably not then. Okay. I'm like, if someone wants to clip it for us into like a montage, <laughs> I, I'd a love to do a reaction yeah, video. A highlight yeah. reel. Now, not only was it obvious that the police were coercing his confection, but a lot of the confession. Sugary sweets. <laughs> Can't talk today. It's, it's too early in the morning. It's freaking 1 p.m. But, uh, <laughs> but a lot of the interrogation tactics they were using were downright illegal. And Carol knew that. Mm-hmm. So she was able to put together pretty quickly that Tap was encouraged with information from the crime to falsify a confession based on the understanding that he would be protected and eventually, like, uh, he would get immunity. So they were, from what you just said, it sounds like they were feeding him details that were not released to the public. Correct. And so they could say, well, we didn't tell anyone this. How did you? Yes. Um, or they could, I, I'm sure they painted it in that light in court. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah, totally. And, and. To be clear, I'm not saying they did that maliciously. Like the cop thought, I'm going to coerce this confession, but then present it in a way in court that it seems like it's not coerced. Like, I don't think that that's what well, happens coerced in these cases. confessions, I mean, it's like psychological on both ends, exactly. right? Like the police, next thing they know, they don't even realize they're coercing it. And that's what I'm trying to express is that I don't think when these things happen, it's usually malicious. Like, oh, we're going to find an innocent guy right. and make him the fall guy and put him behind bars. That would be... That would be wicked and yeah. evil and barbaric. I think that what these police are doing is they're trying to do their job to the best of their ability. And, and they're that under is a lot of the pressure. Of their ability. Yeah, they're yeah. under a lot of pressure and they just, they want to get this guy. Right. Because they're angry too. I mean, they, yeah. they had to go, they saw Angie. You know, they're all mad. Yeah, and totally. I think that they, the intention is there, mm-hmm. but the execution just really gets fucked up. Yeah. And it's, it sucks. It's it, sad. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a bummer. So basically what happened, Chris Tapp kind of ran with Benjamin Hobbs, all right? So when Hobbs was arrested for that crime in Nevada, you know the thing, um, the police department were sure that Hobbs had committed the Angie Dodge murder Mm -hmm. and thought the easiest way to get a conviction of Hobbs was through Christopher Tapp. So they convinced him into one confession, which the promise, with the promise that he would gain immunity if he were to implicate someone, okay? So he did. He made up the man Mike. In that first implication. So that's why we can't find Mike. Correct. That was not good enough because they were trying to get Hobbs for this. That's, and so. Right. They had picked out their guy. Right. So over the next few hours, he changed his confession to implicate Benjamin Hobbs. He signed the confession and cops thought they were all square. 
Was this, sorry, was this his initial confession or this is a later confession for him to try to get out of prison? This is his initial confession. Okay. Yep. Then the DNA evidence came back and it did not match Benjamin Hobbs. So they pulled the deal off the They table. pulled the deal and arrested and charged him. Yep. That sucks. That sucks. They essentially just pulled the rug out. They yeah. were like, well, fuck you. Like, <sighs> here's a little life pro tip for my listeners. The cops are allowed to lie to you. Yes, they are. And they will. I will say this a thousand times on this podcast. This is a direct quote from my husband. If you ever get arrested, ask for a lawyer. And then it's shut the fuck up Friday. Don't say another word. It is shut the fuck up Friday. Ask right away. Am I under arrest? Because if you're not under arrest, you can leave. Right. Am I being detained? Yep. If the answer is yes, say lawyer and nothing else. Nothing else. The answer is no. Do not let them tell you that you can go home soon. They're lying to you. Yeah. You can go home after you answer these couple of questions. You should have a lawyer present. Yep. And this isn't to victim blame. This is just a pro tip for, you know, our listeners. Like, please just lawyer up and just ask for a lawyer. They cannot make you talk. Right. You have the right to remain silent. That's exactly right. And they will use everything against you in a court of law. Yeah, they can lie to you and they will. Like, um, they'll, <laughs> they'll tell you that they've got you hooked up to a lie detector and then tell you that they know you're lying when you say something even though none of that is, you know, you're not, they just, they do that kind of stuff. Like this kind of thing happens in police investigations every single day. They're allowed to lie to you. And honestly, that in my opinion, isn't necessarily a bad thing because police do need to be able to catch bad guys. And by lying to them, they can, they can use that. That's the reason that they're allowed to lie is because they have caught bad guys often with this tactic. Exactly. Problem is it also puts innocent people in jail. It also puts Christopher Tapp in prison. Yeah. So, um, and honestly, like, I don't, I don't know anything about Christopher Tapp. Was he a bad guy that should have been in jail anyway? I don't know. Maybe, but that's not the point. If he didn't commit this crime, he shouldn't be sitting in jail over it. Correct. So Carol sent the tapes to Steven Drizzen. Do you know who that is? I don't think I do. That's Brandon Dassey's lawyer. Ah, yeah. I thought it sounded familiar. So he, I don't know if you know anything about Stephen Drizzen. He was Brandon Dassey's lawyer. He's also a na- the nation's leading expert in false confessions. And he's a professor at a top law school. Um, in a report that he published in 2014, he said with absolute certainty that Tapp's confession was coerced. Wow. Drizzen then reached out to the New York chapter of the Innocence Project, who agreed to work with the Idaho chapter in securing Chris Tapp his freedom. What, where are we in the timeline? Is this 2008, 2009? This, this is 2013. 13, okay. So yep. we've moved up a we bit. We have moved up quite a bit, yep. Carol suddenly realized the corruption at work that put Chris Tapp behind bars and started working closely with the Innocence Project to get tra- Tapp a new trial. That's pretty respectable. Yeah. I would say more than pretty respectable. Like, for a, for a mother of a victim to, like backtrack on believing that this man was involved in her daughter's death to like trying to actually get him a new trial so that he can get out of prison. I have a thought about this too. She's trying to get him exonerated because then police have to actually start from square one and find the guy. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to show you some pictures of Carol um, and Tap together Mm -hmm. and they love each other. I mean, they are just besties. Like it, I think that this really was something special I, I just get chills thinking about it, you know? Yeah. And but, that, it just speaks to how good of a person Carol is. Yeah. And like how she's like, my daughter's life was taken away. How can I stand here and let an innocent man's life right. be taken Right. Let some other mom's me. son be taken away. Right. Yeah. For something that he didn't do. Right. Um, yeah. She's, and she saw firsthand like the interview tapes 
mm-hmm. I think she must have just felt sick and was yeah. like, oh, no. Right. Like, yeah. Well, I'm sure if she were here, she would say, um, like, I wouldn't want someone to go to prison if they didn't do this. Right. Like, that would be worse than for no one to be in prison. You know, I'm sure that would be her sentiment. I, I would think so, too. Um, it's worth noting that at this point, there was a different police chief at Idaho Falls Police Department. Okay. He had no issue with allowing more DNA testing to be done. He even, like, encouraged it. Mm-hmm. He wanted all of that to be tested. So now, by 2015, okay, we have TAP's legal team, the Innocence Project, and Carol Dodge all gearing up to request a new trial with a lot of incriminating evidence that the Idaho Falls Police Department really fucked up back in the 90s. Yeah. But before that could even happen, TAP's rape charges were dropped and the murder charge was credited to time served. He was released in 2017 but would still be considered a murderer. Was that... Oh, hang on, I want to understand the mechanism behind this. This was before they had actually filed any motions. It was an internal review. It was no, they were filing motions. They were gearing up to. And instead of the prosecutor, instead of deciding to retry him, decided decided to just basically just, let it go. Right, like okay. you know what, time served. I don't love the time served thing because he still is a murderer. Yeah, he's getting out as a felon. Yeah, I don't know if I like that, but hopefully, well, keep going. Maybe maybe the ending is better. Go okay. On. He spent 19 years in prison. Yeah, you don't get that back. You don't get that back. 19, his, his, the 19 most prime years of his life. Yeah. He stated um, that just because he was released, quote, I don't want people to forget about Carol. I don't want people to forget about Angie. That's what's really important, close quote. After this, the Idaho Falls police um, started working with the Innocence Project to create another DNA profile with a company called Paraben Nanolabs. And in 2019, they were able to find a man using genealogical DNA. I was going to say they could back into this using 23andMe or something yep. like that. That's yep. what they all are doing now. That's a simplified version of how they did this. Um, I'm going to actually send you an article for you to read about how they actually found him. They almost gave up. And then, like, the labs found some, like, offshoot of, like, some weird... I love it. Oh, it's amazing. I, I smile at the thought of all of these guys who committed murder... 30, 40 years ago and think Sweating they got away with it. Just dick. absolutely shitting their pants. Yeah. Knowing that the hammer's going to come down oh, on them. Oh, that because we're Someone coming they're related to somewhere down the line did 23andMe mm-hmm. and they're toast. Yeah. And uh, I hope that every guy going through that gets caught and does his time. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and I hope he stubs his toe every fucking day of his life. Yeah. Now, 55... His pinky toe on his way out of the cell every day. <laughs> every day. Every day. I want that thing to be shaved shaved down by the time he's <laughs> he dies. So 55-year-old Brian Drips had a very minimal criminal history. He had some drug charges from 2002 in Adams County, which is like west of McCall and Cascade. Mm-hmm. And he had several driving infractions, a few DUIs, okay? Nothing that really defines anyone as a violent rapist and murderer. Yeah. His wife also first filed for divorce the same year that Angie died in 1996. His ex-wife, who I will be protecting her identity just like out of respect, um, went on to explain that she had attempted to leave him many times as they were both struggling drug addicts, and she was able to get a divorce finalized in 1999. She stated that Brian was violent when he was using drugs, which was often. Okay. Now, Drips had three children with this woman. One was born prior to Angie's murder, murder, and the other two were born after, during their like on and off again relationship. So after she started like putting the divorce into motion had two more kids together yes so she filed for divorce after angie was murdered she did Mm -hmm. not know 
that, that he was involved. Nope, but she knew that he was acting erratically and he was getting worse. He was escalating. Yeah. Um, so she filed for divorce after Angie's murder. And then we'll get into it. Um, they ended up relocating to California um, in 1996. So His ex-wife and kids? Or and all of him. Them? All of them. All of them. Okay. Yep. After she had filed for divorce. So then they had their two children in California. Their two youngest. Gotcha. Okay? And then the family moved to Caldwell to be closer to Brian's mother. Caldwell is um, on the outskirts of the Boise metropolitan area. I would say, yeah. Like closer to Oregon. We're unsure why this happened. But after the divorce was finalized, Brian received full custody of all three children. I can assume that she was still a struggling drug addict and thought that because Brian had more support with his mom that it, it was probably for the best. I don't have any more information about his kids than that. I'm a, I'm a true crime person. I'm pretty familiar with um, criminal court. I don't know much about family courts and like what land, what leads to what I, under the understanding expertise. that Idaho is a mother state mother friendly yeah um but it's also possible that she just like gave him the kids you know what I mean well yeah it, it's a state that's probably typically more friendly to mothers but this state is also extremely anti-drugs yes and so if she was using in any capacity and he was not i could see an idaho judge not putting any additional thought into it that's a good point you know yeah and like i said i don't know if that's true and i don't know the ins and outs of how this happens but that just when you said that it sounds crazy i'm just trying to put forth a realistic reasoning for why something like that would and it could be a number of reasons could be anything but that's a good example um so investigators discovered that brian Brian Drips had lived across the street from Angie in 1996. From her apartment? Yep. And had been interviewed by police before they had turned their ta- their sights on Christopher Tapp. Interesting. Yes. They probably probably interviewed him just as a neighbor, a potential witness, rather than a suspect, I would think. Um, so. Yeah. It happens a lot. I mean, happens it happens a lot. a lot where 20 years after a murder case, they're like, dang, we interviewed this guy. Yeah, people you know. are like, how does that happen? It's like, well, they interviewed like probably hundreds. Yeah, of hundreds people. of people. They interviewed everyone within, you know, they draw, they draw a, a circle around the crime scene of like a mile, and they talk to every single person it's who like, was in that circle. Did you see anything weird that night? Happened. Or yeah. like, yeah, did you see anyone suspicious? Where were you that night? Mm-hmm. Whatever. Exactly. And they don't have time to check everyone's alibi. Like that's the thing. It's, it's like, yeah, right. Like, that's just not realistic. You know, it's not. It's not possible. This podcast is sponsored by Fairly Reliable Bobs. When you buy your car at Fairly Reliable Bobs, rest assured you're getting quality. All of their cars are inspected, cleaned, and serviced before they get put on the lot. This includes all of the mechanical systems, tires, battery, windshield wipers, fluids. You will drive away in your new car with a full tank of gas ready for wherever the road takes you. You're also not just getting a car. You get service. Fairly Reliable Bobs only does service for their customers. You will get a discount on parts and labor for as long as you own your car. And personally, my favorite part is the free loaner car. No more riding around in a courtesy van or having to call an Uber or hitch a ride. Fairly Reliable Bob's used cars. Downtown Boise at 23rd and Main since 1975. Brian Drips at this point was still living in Caldwell. And police began following him in an attempt to collect some DNA. We're to, in 2015 now? 
This is 2019. Okay. 2019. Okay. Sorry, Thank I'm you, trying to follow the time. No, sorry. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I forget that. Like, I know this story, and like you don't. I don't. Right? Yeah. At one point, drips through a cigarette out of his car, ah. which bounced into the gutter. But there were a lot of cigarettes in that gutter. Oh dang! I know. So the police could not be sure which one was Brian's, and they can't afford to run all of them. So, no. after 20 more hours of constant surveillance, on the afternoon of May 10th, 2019. He discarded another cigarette out the car window, and it was collected successfully by police. I love that kind of stuff. Me too. Like the Golden State Killer, they got him with like a used Kleenex. Mm-hmm. It's like after all these years and all of the women you put through hell and all the awful things you did, you got caught because you blew your nose. I just love it. <laughs> well, and like it's, it's how they got Brian Koberger, right? Didn't they go through his trash at his parents' house or something? I think yeah, something like that. We're gonna learn a lot more about that case, and I'm sure we'll talk about uh, probably it after the, the trial. Yeah, the, I I do want to do an episode stuff. on it as we learn more. Um, but that gag order, man. I know. Um, it's good though. It it's is good. I better. agree. I, I agree. Think the the internet sleuths were approaching um intolerable for me. That was probably that the worst I have ever seen. Um, it what? There's no way it was that bad. Like during the who was the girl who her boyfriend murdered her in the national park? Oh yeah, the uh, Brian Laundry case. Yeah, Landry Brian Laundry. Yeah, Landry Laundry. Well, well, however you who say gives his a fuck. Name. Yeah. yeah, screw that um, guy. It, the internet sleuths were not nearly as bad as this time. Yeah, they were they were active, but yeah, I um I spent a lot of time on the the subreddits and stuff and the theories people were putting out and you know, this case was closer to home for us. Mm-hmm. So there were actually like names of people that I have connections to fl- right. floating around. Yeah. And um it was just ugly. It, it got was, really ugly. It was if very you ugly. are a true crime fanatic, don't be an ugly one in the online forums. Don't throw around names of people who have not been released publicly because you think they might be involved. Don't be that person. The people who were, like, blaming the ex-boyfriend. Yeah, or the current boyfriend of one of the victims. Yeah, I'm like, you guys... Like, these guys just lost people incredibly. Yeah. They are victims themselves. Yeah. And until the police say that they did it, or until the courts determine that they did it, you have no business putting... Because their names were not released publicly anywhere else. Right. And... Um, you know, moderators of these communities can only do so much. Absolutely. And like we saw it on our TikTok account and my moderator like had to delete so many comments because it was like, you know, the roommates were involved like blah, 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 blah. We really had to be careful because at the end of the day, like this is part of our Idaho family that is suffering, you know? And like we, man, every time something was coming up like on my For You page, I would like hold and click and be like not interested because I didn't want to fucking see it anymore. Yeah. I'm like, you guys fucking living in Maine, East Coast, have an ass, bitch, like accusing (laughs) my people in my state. Like, Mm -hmm. it was so obnoxious. Yeah, and sorry, we're rambling about a different case right now. I can't wait to talk more about it. I I think it'll be really interesting. Um, Investigators really did a good job, as far as I can tell, in this case. And I'm really excited to get more detail into how they did what they did. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that we don't have a lot of detail about, like when he got stopped by the, it was Indiana police Mm -hmm. twice. And... People said that the FBI told them to stop them, but then the police department said they didn't. That's not true. The state police said no. Anyway, it's a really interesting case. I can't wait to talk more about it. And I can't wait to find, Um, like, the actual truth. And hear things where it's like, oh, you know, that, like, that person actually did say that that might have happened, you know? Yeah, and, like, like I said, I have distant connections to people involved in this case. But, like, it's interesting to see some of the rumors I heard pan out to be false. But then some of the rumors I heard completely true. Completely true. Completely true. So it's like... 
it's, we it's, really don't know. We don't know. Yeah, it's a lawless land out there um, right now. It's crazy. Yeah, sorry, I don't know how we got sidetracked. On Me neither, this, because we both really wanted to talk about it. I know. It's <laughs> it's just so the case is just in our heads and it's close. And it's fresh. And it's fresh and the gag order just adds more mystery. A layer to it. of and yeah. we want answers, but we don't have We're them. All and that's so okay. Curious, yeah. So don't be don't be angry about the gag order. Oh yeah. Um, I'm not when I heard that they put a gag order, I was like fucking good. It's dude. good. And good. um you know, I don't know what's gonna happen in court. He seems to think that he will be found innocent like every person does. Ted Bundy thought the same thing. So, um, but from everything I can see and everything I know about true crime, it really does look like they got their guy on that I, case. I would think so. Good work to the so, Good work the to the Moscow police, the FBI, FBI, and everyone else involved. Definitely. Big, big fans of them right now. The Idaho State Police Forensics Lab, um, they received the cigarette butt the next day. Okay. It came back as a match. 100% Perfect. guaranteed Nailed match. Him. Because police had to be extremely careful in their apprehension of drips, they actually kept him under surveillance for another few days. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, he was cornered at a bank in Nampa. Drips eventually went willingly with the police. What a trip. Yeah. This guy doesn't even know the police are watching him. I know. And then you're in a bank cashing a check or something, and the cops just say, hey, you mind coming with us? Imagine what's going through his head. I mean, he was free for 21 years. So he, been... he probably thought it was unrelated. To him? Yeah. I can't... You gotta be like, oh, yeah, what's this about? Like, one of my kids get in trouble or something? Like, Well, I don't know. Like, thought? if you murder somebody, like, I personally... But I have a conscience, so it might be a little different. Yeah, so like, I would live every day in fear. Every time I saw a cop car, I would, like, get off the next exit, yeah. you know? Totally. Like, I hope he did live that way. I, I hope his too. 21 years free I was hope miserable. They were fucking awful. Yeah, I hope he was afraid of getting caught every step of the way, and I'm really glad he did get caught. Yeah, me too. So he was brought in for questioning and initially denied any involvement in the murder and rape of Angie. Not surprising. He went on to request a peanut butter sandwich, which they did make for him. And after he do. was fed, he ended up confessing to everything. Yeah. Yeah. So next time you are going to complain about the police picking up McDonald's for the guy they're taking... Just remember that when people are hungry, um, it changes the way they think and the way that, you know, giving them a meal. There's got to be some science behind it. Like totally. Like why cops feed people yeah, if they ask for it. for sure. Yeah. When I'm when I'm hungry, I'm not myself. Those Snickers commercials, as silly as they are, are I'm pretty legit. Betty White looking ass, like not myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm cranky yeah. as hell. Totally. I agree. Like if I'm going to confess to something, it's going to be after I have a double quarter pounder with cheese. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Get me oh, feeling good, you know, seriously. get the endorphins going. Yeah, I'm going to massage artist in here. <laughs> Not that much. We won't go that far. <laughs> I'm like, listen, I'll level with you, but I'm going to need some neck work back here first. <laughs> so he said that on that night in June 1996, he was drunk and high on drugs. I think that it was cocaine. To be clear, those are not excuses to commit murder. Yeah, to be clear. And that he only meant to rape her and did not even remember killing her. Again, that's not very good. Also, that is a huge load of bullshit. Like... Fuck you, dude. What do you mean you don't remember but like, killing her? Even if it, if, even if that were true, like, oh, I just went over there to rape her. Like, dude, <laughs> oh. go to just straight to jail. Do not yeah. pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. You suck. Yeah, you. Yeah, you're a piece of shit. Like, yeah. you are the scum of the earth. I. Yeah, that's bad. I didn't mean to kill her. I just meant to rape her. Like, right. oh, okay. Like, so you dude, just meant like lifelong trauma that she was right. gonna have to deal with forever. Those two are so close in like terms of badness. Yeah. That, like. Those are neck and neck, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, I, I would hardly even draw a distinction between them for, like, yeah. which one's worse. Like, a violent rape versus a murder. It, just, 
You suck. Yeah. Like, seriously. Straight to the human centipede for you. Yeah. What an awful, Do you even fucking disgusting, cure yourself? Yeah, like, just absolutely disgusting person. He stated he acted alone and did not know Christopher Tapp. Two months later, Tapp was fully exonerated. Oh, good. From so all of his the, crimes. He got the the record expunged and everything. And is now good. seeking legal restitution for nearly twenty the 20 years he yeah. spent in prison. I doubt he'll get much, Carol Dodge, he... We'll get to that. Okay. Carol Dodge is fighting for that too, just like she fought for his innocence for so many years. Listeners, you guys need to go check out the Instagram. It's at Idaho Crime Squad Pod and see the pictures of Carol and Chris after he was exonerated. I'm going to show you right now. Yeah, I haven't seen the pictures yet, but I'm a fan of Carol. Wow, yeah, look at them. Just chills. So happy. Oh, it's like the best picture. Yeah, that is a great picture. It's an amazing one. That's, that's at his exoneration. That's at his trial. Ex- yep, that's when he was fully exonerated. Yeah, wow, just... The power of a mother's love. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's nothing like it. Yeah, truly. I should call mom. <laughs> she, yeah, I was going to say, Carol, I, I see our mom being this way. Yeah. If, one of, if this ever happened to one of us, like, she's that kind of mom. Mom is very resilient. Yeah. Yeah, she's an amazing woman. Brian Drips was sentenced to life on June 8th, 2021. Actually, I'll say this. I'm surprised they didn't seek the death penalty. I don't think Idaho's actually executed anyone recently. The last time Idaho executed someone was 2012. Oh, okay. So it hasn't been that long. It hasn't been that long, but I will say this. Since 1980, 45 people have been sentenced to death and only six have been executed. Yeah. And frankly, regardless of how you feel about the death penalty, just know this. Idaho is open to it. And if you're going to commit a murder, don't be the guy that drives from Washington to Idaho to do it. Yeah. What a fucking idiot. <laughs> Not to bring that specific case back up, but don't don't commit murder anywhere, but especially don't commit murder somewhere where they like killing people. What a fucking idiot i didn't even think about that you're gonna go to a pro kill state and murder people you fucking idiot when you could literally do it just in the town you're in and and not even risk you know the death oh my god this truly is the motherfucker we're dealing with (laughs) wow you just really put it into perspective for me what a fucking idiot bro he drove eight miles across the idaho border to commit murder (laughs) they went for the death penalty for christopher tapp and all they had was a confession Right, that's why I'm surprised they didn't go for it with this guy. Frankly, he's probably, you said he's pretty old now, in his 50s. I guess that's not that old. Um, the only issue is that he pled guilty. Yeah, they're not going to execute him if they're he not gonna, guilty. Well, they have once before. Really? There is one person, yeah, and I can't remember. Imagine getting that deal. Like, look, you, we'll let you, we'll let you uh, confess, but we're still going to kill your so, ass. So, this is interesting. <laughs> It had just gotten changed. I can't remember who it was. I can see him in my head, and I can't remember his fucking name, but he's a douche canoe. Um, it had just changed that judges could hand down death sentences. That oh. it became that became legal in Idaho. I don't like that. I don't like that either. <laughs> I don't like that. That I'm I want against, a jury to determine if if there's going to be a death penalty. I want the jury. This guy make that pled guilty, and he is currently on death row right now. Wow. Yeah, so Carol Dodge st- said in her victim impact statement to Brian Drips, quote, the pictures that are in our minds are Angie's crime scene pictures. The way you left her, the way I saw her just hours before you killed her. She was at my house. My last words to her were I love you. I held her in my arms and never was I able to hold her again because of your evil selfish actions and I can't forgive you. See, these are the, I mean, just like the raw emotion of the mothers when they talk to the killers of their children. There's nothing really like it, you know, and these guys, some of them, probably most of them don't feel any remorse or any guilt, but, um, it's hard. It's hard to hear those words. And like, this is coming from the deep depths of their soul. 
Yeah, exactly. You know? Like, this is the most raw emotion that there is. She then demanded that Brian look at her. And he did. And she continued, you think you're in pain here on Earth? Wait till you're in hell, Brian. Yeah. Well, I hope there is a hell, and I hope that he ends up there. Same Z's. She then addressed the judge directly and said, you have the sentencing report in your hand, Your Honor. Whatever you give this man is not enough. Damn. That, that is... Whew, that's powerful. That is powerful. That's power. So Brian Drip's last word addressing the court and Angie's family were, quote, I know you'll never forgive me, but I'm sorry. I don't believe him. I don't believe him either. This guy's fucking... If like, he was sorry, off. If he was sorry before he got caught, he would have turned himself in. You let Christopher Tapsit in prison for 19 right, years exactly. for what you did. You are not sorry. You yeah. were so happy. He's really sorry he got caught. Yeah. He's really bummed out right now. This guy sucks. So, if you're wondering if anything ever happened to the Idaho Falls Police Department, the answer is kind of. Several bills over the years have been presented to the House and the Senate about comp- compensation of, for, like, convicts who were wrongfully convicted in Idaho. Governor Brad Little, and I don't want any beef here, he had vetoed one of these bills. Carol Dodge looked at this as a personal attack towards Christopher Tapp and actually published a gigantic fuck you to Brad Little in the Idaho Statesman, and it's iconic. If you get a chance to read it, you should. Yeah, send me the link. I want to read that. Okay. Brad Little's reasoning was that this would be, quote, time-consuming and expensive. Oh, yeah. Uh, Time-consuming and expensive. Sounds to me like Brad Little's aware that we have this problem. Yeah. I know. I'm like, you know what else is time con- Not to throw time consuming Brad Little, and expensive? But... Spending thousands of hours making up evidence on a case and hosting a very costly death penalty trial for an innocent man. Well, and then That's having to expensive. deal with the court costs and everything for when they inevitably are freed because yeah. they never did anything wrong. Yep. You want to talk about expensive? It's expensive to put someone in prison. It'd be cheaper to not do that in the first place. But don't get me started on that. Um, so in early 2021. A lawmaker passed a bill called the Idaho Wrongful Conviction Act, which essentially grants a possibility for wrongful convicted inmates to have access to some sort of compensation. This sort of forced Brad Little into a corner, and I'm assuming in the name of good publicity, on June 15th, 2021, he approved a decently large compensation payment of $1.2 million to Christopher Tapp. Oh, good. Yeah. And that's not the end of it. 19 years, $1.2 million. Um... You know, we're looking at a little less than 50 grand a year, which is still kind of shitty. Um, shitty. We're not done yet, though. It's it's better than nothing. As recent of June 2022, Idaho Falls City Council unanimously agreed to grant TAP $11 million. Wow. On behalf of the Idaho Falls Police Department. Straight and out of the doings. city's budget, huh? The mayor, Rebecca Casper, did issue a written formal apology, which is available to view on our Facebook and Instagram. Hey, shout out to Rebecca Casper. Yeah. I don't know anything about her. I've never heard her name before now because I don't live in Idaho Falls, but um, sounds like a solid mayor. I yeah. don't know anything else about her, but I that's think a that solid that was, I think that that was the right call. Um, and I, like, what people don't understand is, like, cities have insurance for this exact thing. Right? Oh, I actually, I don't know much about that. Yeah, so, like, they have insurance for almost every single thing. And one of them is, like, wrongful convictions. Okay. So, um, the Idaho Falls, that did not come out of the Idaho Falls Police Department budget. Like, that came from an insurance payout for the city of Idaho Falls. Right. So Now, to be clear, she made that decision knowing this is going to cost the city money. Because even if there was an insurance payout, that's going to raise their premiums. Yeah. Just like anything else, if you are committing a lot of car accidents, your car insurance is going to cost a fortune. I'd imagine if your police department is constantly putting people in prison who shouldn't be there, it's going to cost a lot to insure their ass against this happening. Mm-hmm. So Brian Drips is being held at the Idaho State Correctional Center 
The south one that of we town. Just, yep, south of town. He'll be eligible for parole eventually. Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was life without. I thought so too. I must have gotten some wires crossed here. You know what? You know what it was? It was always reported as life without, but then when I looked up his actual record, like you can like look up like the Idaho prison rosters or whatever, mm-hmm. it says that he his parole eligibility date is May 16th of 2039. 2039. He got convicted in 19? 20? 2021. 21. So he only got what, 18 years fixed? I would think, yeah. I don't guess. Like that. I don't like that very much. He'll be 70. He did confess. He did confess and he pled guilty. He'll he'll be 73 by the time there's a good chance he'll like there's a good chance he could still be alive. I don't think any parole board is going to give him parole. No. And I don't think he's even going to want to get paroled. Uh ultimately though, yeah, any parole board that looks at this case and they review the details and they're aware of what he did and how long he walked free, I I'd have hope at least that they're going to they're going to deny his parole. From my knowledge of Idaho true crime, Idaho parole boards are kind of hard asses. Yeah. It is not very often that a violent criminal gets paroled on their first go. Yeah. It is, in fact, quite rare. Yeah. So, hopefully, knowing what I know, they will still be holding that standard in Idaho by 2039. And yeah. they won't let him. Hopefully, he just dies. Yeah, maybe he'll be <laughs> dead by then. Hopefully, he's not alive. Um, but, yeah, I, I would. I'd like to see a man like this die in prison. Um, there's also no saying in those 21 years he was walking free, what was he up to? We know his wife left him. Like, are there, are there other bodies? Do we know? Yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Hopefully not. Um, but once a person demonstrates they're capable of this sort of thing, I have it's to It's hard to it's... believe that he didn't do it again. Well, especially since it sounds like he was escalating. Yeah. Like, in his personal life with his wife and stuff. And then he escalated to the point that he, he branched out and kind of sought that elsewhere agreed um hard to imagine that he didn't continue to do especially after like his wife left him and he no longer had someone to like abuse yeah exactly i, I worry that me too that's a really good yeah. point um yeah interesting we could we could dig we could into probably that. dig yeah and find see out where he's lived and look up if there's missing any women kind of open cases there yeah hmm. i'm sure the police have have done some of that um but there's also the angle of police in Idaho aren't going to spend too much time worrying about cold cases in California, wherever else he's lived, because right. they're only, you know, they have limited time and resources, as we know, and they can't just investigate other cases right. for other departments. And I think, like, they were so ready to get this case solved. Yeah. Like, they, they didn't, unfortunately, yeah, you're right, they don't really have the time or the resources, or, like, even, like, the like the reason to care, you know? Right. The best they could probably do is provide a tip. To the Provide departments a tip and, the and then get the guy behind bars. And say, look, we got this guy. We know he committed a murder in our jurisdiction. You might want to just, he, we, he live where you are. Yeah. Maybe take a He's peek. He's in CODIS now, so. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. We could, we could look into that. So, sadly, Angie's dad had died in 2004 from what Carol oh, stated was a broken heart. Yeah. Angie's family still states today that this entire thing completely shattered, shattered them in unimaginable ways. Um, Do but, you know, were they still married at the time that oh, he yeah. passed away? Mm-hmm. A lot of couples never, uh, their marriage Recover. doesn't last after their yeah. kids are, are victims of something like this. My mom used to tell me, like, if one of you died, it would be very hard for, like, are my marriage to dad to survive that? Because, like, yeah, it, that shatters you. It does. It, and it's not a reflection of the strength of their relationship or, you know, how much they care about each other. It just has such a strong emotional um uh, I guess, outcome on people that, uh, yeah, 
It's very common for and those like, marriages to fall apart. Both people are going through it together mm-hmm. and so differently. Yeah. And like different but I'd levels imagine of grief. Some couples maybe it, may, it makes them stronger. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that they were still together. It Me sounds too. like they were in it together. Um, very sad to hear he passed away before he saw his daughter get justice. But yeah. ultimately, um, they got him. Yeah. And her whole family including her brothers they're like truly incredible people they've done so much good in the in this world like in the name of angie angie's remembered as being gifted and having a great enthusiasm for life she does have a website um we went over that earlier that's angiedodge.com i highly recommend visiting the website there's so many like beautiful pictures of angie um bring some traffic to the page and while you're there make a donation to the five for hope cause which is a nonprofit that uses money to run dna testing and buy equipment to help solve cold cases and let me say something about that really quickly. Um, a lot of departments are underfunded, and they literally just can't afford to do all the DNA exactly. testing they need to do. Exactly. There are murderers walking free, and these types of nonprofits, these types of organizations that help fund these, they get these guys off the streets for us. Yeah, agreed. So. And that's the Five for Hope cause. You guys can donate on Angie's website. And that's the story of Angie Dodge, Christopher Tapp, and the amazing persistence of a mother who loves her baby girl. Holy shit, we did Angie Dodge. Rest in peace, yeah. Angie. Um, condolences to the family and friends, obviously. Um, it's been a long time, but I'm sure the pain never quite goes away. So really happy to see the result on this case. Yeah. I'm glad they got their guy. Very sad story, kind of all the way through up until 2021. Yeah, I um, agree. A lot of miscarriage of justice happened. Obviously, a horrific crime. A couple of horrific crimes we talked about. Another guy that ultimately wasn't involved in this one turned out to be a real piece of shit yeah benjamin hobbs we have reason to believe he lives in idaho and to be clear this is all public record yeah, literally <laughs> this yeah. man's name is public record and he is a convicted criminal who has done awful things and he you know his name is out there so um, if you know this guy be wary of him he's capable of really awful things Guys, follow the Idaho Crime Squad on Instagram. It's at Idaho Crime Squad Pod. We also have at Idaho Crime Squad. So follow us both. And follow the Facebook page. Argue with each other in the comments. That's what people like to do on Facebook anyway. Until next week, signing off for the Idaho Crime Squad Pod. I'm Andy with an I. I'm Nick. Godspeed, Idaho.